Well, Whitestone, today is Palm Sunday. It is the day where the church worldwide celebrates when Jesus rode into Jerusalem triumphantly on a donkey, and he was praised and worshipped as the King of Israel. It's where they threw branches down on the street in front of him and laid their cloaks down where he walked in, and they just celebrated and worshipped him. And you know, typically churches will will buy all sorts of palm branches and palm trees and have them all around the church and up on the stage and um, palms will be part of the service and they even might even hand out palms to you know the congregation but palms are everywhere but unfortunately we do not have that today and I'm sorry if you showed up here expecting it I know so many people grew up experiencing that in your church every Palm Sunday, and so you kind of came here today expecting that as well. So I, I am sorry to say that is not the case. Having grown up in the jungles of South America, I'm probably one of the most unconventional pastors there is, so that makes Whitestone one of the most unconventional churches there is. And so when everyone else is having palm branches and donkeys and cool stuff like that, you poor guys just show up and it's just business as usual, same old thing. I am wearing a coat, though, so that's kind of kind of different. Um, so I, I am sorry, I, I really am. And not only that, but we not only don't do we not have palm trees here, but we neither are we going to be talking about the usual Palm Sunday sermon. Uh, now, don't get me wrong; I had actually planned on it. I was, you know, my long kind of term plan was that we were going to take this week before Resurrection Sunday to talk about this triumphal entry, Jesus riding in a donkey where they worshiped him and they cried out Hosanna and laid their coats and palm branches on the road. And I wanted to talk about that story. That was the text I was going to talk through today. But this week, uh, early on in this week, I was praying and asking God, saying, God, what is it that you want me to talk about this Sunday? And, you know, I want to speak on this Sunday what you want me to speak on. And, you know, I felt like he led me to Mark 5. And I felt like God said, Luke, this is the passage I want you to talk about today. And in a few moments, I'm going to read it to you, and you will know what I mean, but I have to say, it kind of threw me for a little loop. Uh, I, this would have been the last message that I would ever speak on on a Palm Sunday because of the content of this passage, but I do want to be obedient to what I feel like God is leading me to do. So this is going to be our story for today. Uh, I'm going to read it to you in its entirety. First, and then we're going to come back and discuss it and see what God wants to show us from it. Okay, so if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew or not Matthew, Mark chapter five. Mark chapter five, and we're going to start in verse one. But uh, here, before we do that, why don't you raise your hand in the air? Actually, raise both hands in the air and just everybody raise your hands up in the air, wave them around. I want you to look around and just see all the palms in the air. Okay, <laughs> happy Palm Sunday, Whitestone. You realize how much money we just saved right there? It's awesome. You're welcome. All right, enough of that. Let's turn in our Bibles, Mark chapter 5, and let's read the story. And it's going to be on the screen behind me. I think the screen has palm branches too, so we're covered. All right, verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. 
And night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. So there is the full story from start to finish. And you see what I mean? It's not your typical Palm Sunday sermon. But I think Jesus wants to teach us some things from this passage today, so let's, let's dig into it. And you know, when I read this story, reading about this man, it made me think about the men and women around our world on this planet who are at the bottom of the bottom of humanity. You know what I'm talking about? The, the, the people who are in the trenches of humanity. In other words, the people who are at the bottom of humanity's social ladder. I mean, at the very bottom. They are the throwaways. They are the outcasts. They are the useless, the unwanted. The, the people who make cities kind of look bad because they, they litter the streets and the sidewalks with their filth and their immense need. And so bad that you almost don't want to walk by them. They make you feel uncomfortable. Your heart utterly breaks for them and you can't do anything about it, so it leaves you feeling uncomfortable. I remember growing up in Colombia, there was a, a certain street in Via Vicencio that we would go to and my mom and dad would go and, and shop at this one store. And I will never forget this little kid that was always sitting there on the sidewalk. Early in the morning, his parents would come and they'd plop him down on the sidewalk against the wall and they would leave him there all day and at the end of the night, they would come and pick him up and bring him back home. At least that's what I assumed happened. I don't know if he stayed there all night or not. But this kid would sit there and he had some disease where his entire body was like this and he would sit against the side of the wall and just kind of rock back and forth and there was a little can in front of him that people who had mercy on him would put a little coin in and they'd give him money. Day in and day out, through rain, through sun, through rain, through sun, he sat there. He didn't have a covering over his head. He sat there and endured day in and day out. I remember another time when I was in Columbia, this old man, I think I've told this story before, but he had rubber straps around some pieces of wood on his knees. 
and he had some on his hands, and he was on all fours, and he was crawling on the ground like this, and he was trying to cross this busy street, and he's looking up, and he's, you know, ah, ah, like this, and cars are swerving around him, and they're honking at him, and they're yelling at him, and he, he finally makes it all the way across. And, and guys, I have to say, when I saw this man, my heart just broke. And I was talking to Josh the other day, Pastor Josh, and he spent some years in, in India. And he was telling me some of the things that go on there, and it's just utterly horrific. There are evil men there who will go into the slums, into the most impoverished places, and they will take little kids, and they will chop their arms off and chop their legs off and make them cripples and then put them on the sides of the street so that people will have pity on them and give them money. And at the end of the day, they take their money from them. These people are so needy, so desperate, and they make us feel so inadequate. We don't even like seeing them, let alone having to walk right by them. Society tries to rid itself of these kind of people because they so affect us with their desperation. And that's the kind of man in this story today. He is at the bottom of humanity. He is a throwaway. He has been so plagued and so oppressed by the kingdom of darkness, so beaten down and so degraded, so demeaned and thoroughly wrecked and ruined, he couldn't even function as a human being anymore. So much so that the people of his day discarded him from the city to live amongst the tombs. <clears throat> to live amongst the dead, to live in the middle of, of rotting flesh and decaying bones. Which, let's be honest, I mean, the only difference between him and these, these corpses was that his body still drew breath. But for all practical purposes, he was a walking dead person. Nobody wanted him. He was too needy. He was too desperate. He was too lost. And in fact, I find it interesting that it says that this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Look at that. No one could bind him anymore. They couldn't put chains on him anymore. You see that? That was society's answer. That was their way of helping him. Isn't that interesting? That was their way of fixing the situation. Hey, let's chain this man up. Let's put shackles on him. You know, when you think about it, that's the way it always is, isn't it? I mean, seriously, that's society's way of trying to help the truly desperate. They chain them up. They put them in prisons. Rather than try to free them from their situation and try to truly rescue them, the answer is always chain them up. Bind their hands and feet to where they walk around like this. In our day and age, you know, sometimes I think that the chains come in the form of drugs. Rather than set people truly free, we drug them up. And we numb the symptoms. And we put the person into literally a medical coma to where they can't taste and they can't feel and they can't live. And they simply just walk around in a fog, day in and day out. It's just another form of chains. And that's what humanity has always done for the truly desperate, for those that they can't fix or help. And you know what? 
I can't say I blame them. Humanity really has nothing else to offer than chains. I mean, I have no doubt that this man was a problem. He was a danger. He was literally out of his mind. What else is there to do but to chain him up and lock him away? That's our only option. That's always, always been our only option. And that's the situation we find ourselves in this story. And you know, the crazy thing is, at some point, even those chains don't do the trick anymore. They don't fix the problem. And eventually, some people break the chains. They rip off the shackles, and nothing and no one is able to subdue them anymore. So our last resort is to cast them out from our presence. We don't want them around us anymore. If you can't stay in your shackles, then we don't want you. Go, get out of our community and go live amongst the dead. And they're rejected. And you know what's worse? We fear these people. And when you fear someone, you have nothing to do with them. You will avoid them at all costs. And so these people find themselves rejected, castaways, living amongst the tombs alone alone without any hope of ever being set free. And that's where the man in our story finds himself. He's beyond desperate, screaming and crying aloud day and night, never a break from the torture he's living out. So much so is the pain and torture, he takes sharp rocks and he, and he cuts himself day and night, probably just so that he can feel something. The man was living in utter darkness. And darkness was not going to stop until he was dead. You can count on that. You know, I can't help but wonder if we have anyone here today that feels like they fit that description. Where you live in utter desperation. You live in constant emotional oppression. Your heart and your mind hurts 24-7. And because of your pain, because of your oppression, you really don't fit in. You aren't one of the normal people. And so often you're just sidelined. You're ignored. You may not be thrown out amongst the tombs, but you might as well be. You still live all alone. And you lie in bed at night and you cry yourself to sleep. And you wake up the next day and you dread the day before you. And the answer the world gives you is here, take this pill. Take this medication. Maybe this will help you act normal. Maybe this will help you be normal. And the more you take, the more dead you feel. The more you take, the more it feels like shackles are being put around you, like you're being chained, like you, you're living in a fog. And you walk around like a dead person. And when no one is looking, you take a sharp object and you begin to cut yourself. And you rip your flesh open and you bleed. You make yourself feel pain because you just want to feel something. And listen, guys, I know this is deep stuff for Palm Sunday. I know this is heavy, and some of you might be wondering, why in the world are you talking about this morning? And the answer to that is this, because I know we have people in our very midst who feel like this. 
People who are here today, who this is their life, this is how they feel. They feel like they are a walking dead person, and they believe that no one cares for them. No one knows about them. They're too messed up. They're too damaged. They're too unimportant. It's best that they just live in the shadows, that they hide from, the, from humanity. Because if anybody really saw the real person inside, they would be cast out to live amongst the tombs. And so they suffer all alone, thinking there isn't anyone who knows or cares about them. And once again, that's where our man in this story finds himself. But you, you know, guys, here's the beauty of this story. Here, here's the amazing beauty of this story. Miles and miles away on the complete other side of the sea in a completely different country in a completely different people group, someone was thinking about him. Someone did care about him and was not going to let this man be destroyed by the darkness. And one evening, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they get into their boats and they make their way across the lake to the other side. Now, just so you know, to kind of have a little context of the story, many of you guys know the story where Jesus is in the boat and suddenly this furious squall, this wind came out of nowhere so much that the waves were crashing down and the disciples thought they were going to sink. And they screamed to Jesus, hey, don't you even care if we're going to die? And Jesus stands up and he rebukes the wind and he calms the storm and everything settles down. That's what's happening right now in this boat. But eventually, Jesus and his disciples make it to the other side of the lake. And they land their boat on the shore exactly where this man is dwelling. Now, here's why I think this is so cool. Remember last year when we learned in our faith series that Jesus only did what his father told him to do and only said what his father told him to say. And if you remember that, and if that is true, if Jesus only did what his father told him to do, then why, tell me why was Jesus on that shore? Tell me, second service. Because his father had told him to go. Now why is that so important? Here's why. God had heard the cries of that desperate man. They didn't land on deaf ears. And because God so loved this man, he sent his son to rescue him. Think about that. Night after night, day after day, he screamed out in agony. Day after day, he, he ran around, you know, and crying out loud wildly through the tombs and through the hillsides. And seemingly his cries were unheard by anyone. He pro probably thought, nobody's listening to me. But that wasn't true. God was. God had heard him. And he was about to answer those cries by sending Jesus to the other side of the lake to that ex exact spot. Here's what I want you to know, Whitestone. You need to know this. God heard his cries. And you know what? God hears your cries. God heard his cries, and he hears your cries. And, and I know there are some of you, you here today who are thinking to yourself, no, no, no one hears me. No one knows I'm crying out in agony day after day, night after night. No one knows. 
Nobody hears me. My, my screams must be silent because nobody hears them. But I want you to know this morning, and I want you to hear me this morning, that is not true. It's not true. God hears your cries. He heard the cries of that man, and he hears your cries as well. And you need to know that this morning. You need to cling to that this morning. He is not a deaf God. Amen? He's not. And God heard these man's cries, and he sent Jesus to the exact shore this man was living by, the exact location. It was not coincidence, Whitestone. It wasn't some wild, crazy, by chance thing that Jesus showed up on this shore. No, this was God's plan. And guys, this is actually a big deal here, because this spot on this shore here was no longer Israel. This was Gentile country. And remember, Jesus wasn't sent to the Gentiles. He was sent to the Jews. And so Jesus traveled all over Israel teaching and preaching the good news of the kingdom and and healing all those who were under the power of the devil. But he didn't go to Gentile countries. He stuck with Israel. That's what his calling was. He was sent to Israel. The people of Israel were his focus. And yet, in in this specific instance, Jesus was sent, in a sense, off mission and was sent across the lake to a Gentile country, a Gentile region, for, I believe, this one purpose. This man. This reject. This outcast. And you want to know why? Because if no one else loved this man, God did. Even if everyone else rejected him, God didn't. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. And this man needed rescuing, and God specifically sent his son to this specific location to rescue this specific man. Why? Because he loved him. And can I say something to, this, to you this morning? And can you let it sink in, please? God loves you. He loves you. Even if you think no one else does, God loves you. And he knows you. And he wants to rescue you. And I know you may not believe that this morning, but that is the truth. Well, Jesus gets out of the boat, and the second Jesus hits the shore, this man comes running. And we don't know why he came running. In, math, in, in the Matthew version of the story, it says that no one passed through this place anymore because this man was so dangerous. Everybody was scared of him. And I'm sure people had treated this man so badly and so inhumanely that when people showed up out of fear and rage, he would attack them and beat them back. So who knows, this man maybe saw Jesus and came running at Jesus ready to pounce on him and beat him to the ground like he'd probably done to so many other men. Who knows? But when he gets closer to Jesus, suddenly he realizes he isn't an ordinary man. And I don't know if it was him or the demons in him. Scripture doesn't tell us. But somehow, someone suddenly realizes they were in the presence of royalty. They were in the presence of God himself. I personally think it was the demons who recognized Jesus. But whoever it was, when they came up to Jesus, he didn't pounce on him and beat him to the ground. No, he fell face first into the ground. Prostrate before the one who made the stars, the moon, the sun, the clouds, the sea, the mountains, 
the entire universe. And Jesus sees what's going on. He sees the source of the problem, and he instantly says, come out of this man, you evil spirit. He doesn't attack the man. He doesn't put shackles on the man. He doesn't put the man in prison. He doesn't chew him out. He doesn't point out his faults, and he doesn't blame the man saying, really, this is your fault. You're in this situation. He doesn't judge him. He doesn't preach a sermon to him. No, he heals him. He sees the source of the problem and he addresses the problem. He sees the dark enemy at work and he stands up to that enemy and he says, get out. Get out. And the demons inside of this man, they cry out. They say, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Son of the most high God. Now, I don't know if you can tell this or not, but these demons are scared out of their mind. They are terrified. These demons realize they are in the presence of the Son of the Most High God. You see, they had taken hostage one of God's creation. They had taken a man, one of God's most dearest, most precious creation, and they had harassed him and beaten him and trampled on him and almost destroyed him. And now, all of a sudden, they were face to face with this man's creator, and they knew they were in trouble. I mean, here were enemies of the Most High God suddenly face to face with the Most High God. Here were destroyers of God's creation face to face with the Creator. And when you are in the presence of the Creator and you've been damaging His creation and you're in the presence of the Most High God and you're enemies of the Most High God, tell me, what do you do? You cower at His feet and you beg for mercy. And that's exactly what these demons are doing. What do you want with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, swear to God that you won't torture me. I don't know why, but I love that. I think it's great when the enemy is suddenly on the retreat. I love it when the enemy suddenly sees what a mess he's in. Swear to God you won't torture me. Oh, you mean like you tortured this man for years and years? Is that what you're talking about? These demons were terrified. And they're begging not to be punished for their horrific treatment of this man. They were in the presence of the Son of the Most High God. And many of you, if you read the story before, you know how it goes. Jesus goes, what is your name? Speaking to the demon, and the demon goes, my name is Legion, for we are many. Meaning there was a a ton of demons inside this man. Now, we, we don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. But a legion in a Roman army was up to 6,000 men. So there literally could have been thousands and thousands of demons inside this man. No wonder he was such a mess. And these demons were begging Jesus over and over again, please don't send us from this country. Please don't send us from this region. Please don't torture us. Please don't, don't, you know, they're just screaming at Jesus. They're just begging him. And they say, see those pigs up on that nearby hill? Send us into those pigs. And so Jesus gives them permission, says, all right, come out and go to those pigs. And they came out of the man and they went into those pigs. And the pigs, within seconds, lost their mind ran down the steep hill, and drowned themselves. You know, that's kind of interesting to me. That they, these demons had been inside this man for I don't know how long, and what was their intent? 
destruction. They wanted to destroy this man. They wanted this man to end up dead. That's the enemy's plan. It's always his plan. And yet the human spirit of this man had been fighting against it and standing against it and standing against it. Yeah, he was broken. He was beat up. He was ruined. But he was not. He never gave in to the request of take my life. Day after day, night after night, week after week, month after month. That never happened. But these demons end up in the pigs, and within seconds, the pigs are dead. God created the human spirit to be strong. I find that interesting. Well, the people who are taking care of the pigs, understandably, this freaks them out. And they're like, oh my word, and they run into town, into the Decapolis, and they, they tell everybody what's going on. Well, a group of people, they come out, and they come to where Jesus is, and I find this interesting. They come, and they see the man who was demon-possessed, and he had clothes on, and he was in his right mind. And do you remember what it said in the passage? And they were afraid. Now, why do you think that is? Why would they be afraid to see this? Because they themselves realized they were in the presence of someone pretty important, pretty powerful. Realizing Jesus was not an ordinary man. And their reaction to that was, Jesus, you you need to get out of here. Can you please just leave our region? Can you just please go back to where you're from? Get out of here. Now, there's some things I want to quickly mention in this story before we wrap up. And, and the number one is this. You really need to know this. The enemy really does want your destruction. Now, we may dance around that and pretend that's not real, but you know what? It is dead real. He wants your destruction. These demons in this man wanted this man's death. They were going to oppress him and destroy him until this man took his own life. What happened to the pigs is what they wanted happened to this man. They wanted his destruction. And you need to hear me this morning. The the enemy wants your destruction. The enemy works night and day to convince you that the best option you have is to take your own life. No one will care. No one will miss you. It would be best for everyone around that you would end it all. And that's how the enemy works. Those are his lies. And I know that there are some in this room right now who have had those thoughts this week. Those thoughts have crossed your mind. And so listen to me. Pay attention to me. Those thoughts, those voices, are lies directly from the mouth of the enemy. Do not listen to those lies. Those voices are trying to get you to destroy God's creation by destroying yourself. Do not let them. Do not let them. Don't play into their game. Yes, the enemy wants your destruction, but you also need to know this. God really does want to rescue you. He really does. Now, I know that when I say that, there are those of you in this room who instantly think to yourselves, 
but maybe everybody else, but not me. God doesn't want to rescue me. I, I'm, I'm too broken. I'm too sinful. I'm too ruined. I'm too useless. I'm way too much of an outcast. I literally have nothing to offer him. I'm just a worthless, useless, unwanted piece of excrement. That's what you believe. God would never want to rescue me. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, you're wrong about that. You're dead wrong about that. Because this story tells us otherwise. You see, because this man could not get any lower than he was in the garbage pit of humanity. This man could not be more ruined. He could not be more damaged. He could not be more useless. This man was so unwanted, so despised, so incredibly detested that he was forced out to live amongst the tombs. There could not be a more worthless piece of humanity than this man. This guy was the worst of the worst, the bottom of the bottom, in the darkest of darkness. And you know what? Jesus sailed across the entire lake, the entire sea, through a storm in the middle of the night to rescue him. Don't tell me he won't do that for you. Because he will. You are not worthless. You are not unwanted. God does not despise you. Yes, you may be broken. You may be damaged. You may be in ruins. You may be utterly destitute because of the kingdom of darkness, but you are not worthless. You're God's creation. And that makes you more worth than anything in this universe. So yes, God does want to rescue you. And you need to know that today. You know, I love how this story ends. The people from that region are trying to get Jesus to leave. They're so freaked out by what has just happened, they just want Jesus to leave. And, and you know what's interesting is that Jesus doesn't try to argue with them. He doesn't try to debate them. And you want to know why, I think? Because honestly, his job was done. His mission was accomplished. He'd been sent to rescue that man, and that man was rescued. And so Jesus gets back into his boat. But here's the part of the story that warms my heart. This man, this man who had lived in such utter darkness for who knows how long, tries to climb into the boat with Jesus. He doesn't want to leave Jesus. I mean, he had just met the Son of the Most High God, and he had transformed his life, and he didn't want to ever leave his presence. And he begged Jesus, and he begged Jesus to go with him. But you know what Jesus says? He goes, no. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home to your family and I want you to tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man was obedient. The man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. You know, as I think about that, I wonder how many ripple effects this man created in that Gentile city of Decapolis. I wonder how much the kingdom of God was advanced by this one man in that Gentile region. I, I wonder the ripple effects that this man had on the world. 
We won't know until we get to heaven. But I promise you that's going to be one question I'm going to ask Jesus. Because I wonder that. And you know, another thing about this story, if you look in your Bibles or you look in books, often the title of the story will be called The Demoniac. Meaning, the man with all these demons. That's the title of the story, The Demoniac. And that's what this man is called. He's called The Demoniac. Because he did have all these demons. But you know what? I don't think we should title the story that anymore. Because I think it should be called The Missionary. Because isn't that what the end game is? And that's what the enemy tries to do. He tries to take our past and he labels us with it. He goes, this is what you did. This is what you were. This is what you are. And God says, no, I get rid of all that stuff. This is what you are. And so in your Bibles, cross out the demoniac and put the missionary. Because that was the end game. That's what this man became, a missionary sharing what God had done in his life. Isn't that cool? Here's what I want you to see in all this. This man went from a pointless, aimless, meaningless life to a life of purpose when he met Jesus. And I want to tell you this this morning, Jesus wants to do the same for you today. I promise you he does. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the story. And I thank you that you were not deaf to this man's cries. That you were not deaf to his pleas. And you loved him so much, you sent your son to rescue him. And God, I know that there are some in our midst today, in this room today, who they feel utterly oppressed, utterly beaten down, living in a complete world of darkness, and they don't know how to get out. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would break through that shell of darkness and you might pierce it with your light. And that in the name of Jesus, you would free these individuals to be set free from the bondage that they're in. That you would free them from oppression. That you would free them from depression. That you would free them from the illness that they find themselves in, in the name of Jesus. And I pray that you would turn them into missionaries who might go out throughout the entire world and share the good news of what you've done and how you've shown them mercy. I pray this this morning in your name, Jesus. Amen. Guys, I just want to end with this real quick. You know, Jesus, the demon, when he saw Jesus, he said, you are Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. You know what title we've been given, guys? Because of Jesus and what he did on the cross, we're given the title, title sons of God. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God. And as I've been telling you over the last few weeks, our job is to carry on the work that Jesus began. 
So I want you to be sensitive to the Spirit of God this week. And if the Spirit of God tells you to go and rescue someone on the other side of the lake, wherever it might be, I want you to go. And I want you to go forth in the name of Jesus, and I want you to rescue that person. Because that's what God has you for. You are sons and daughters of the Most High God. You go forth in His name. You go forth in His power with the Spirit of God in you to set people free. Amen? Guys, I love you so much. Have an amazing week, and we'll see you on Resurrection Sunday.